Uh, thank you, everyone. That's, that's great. I'm encouraged this morning uh, because a lot of what I wanted to say, God has already been preparing the way during the worship and the words that have come this morning. And in fact, even uh, Rob's word about the nations, obviously you just prayed for us going to the nations. And the notions before that was about the nations that are here already and that reaching them. So do please be praying about whether God's calling you to help at Global Cafe. Uh, speak to Sarah. It would be great to have more people helping there as we've got many nations and actually many people here uh, in, our, in our midst that are from the nations that need to know the love of Jesus. In fact, some of them are from countries where it is illegal to be a Christian. And so um, it's a real privilege to be able to share the gospel of Jesus with them there. Anyway, my name's Sai. If you uh, didn't get that already, and it's my joy to speak to you this morning about the faithfulness of Jesus. Hopefully, you are privileged enough to have a few faithful friends in, in life, people who are with you even though there's a, a cost involved. They, they're there to protect you when other people attack you. They've got your back. They're good enough friends to actually say, no, actually, you're, you're wrong in that, side. You, you should have said it like that, or you've, you're going down the wrong path there. They're good enough friends to challenge you on things, and yet they're also good enough friends to support your endeavors that God calls you to do and bring the best out in you. Hopefully, you've got a few friends around you like that. The movies love the twist, don't they, of a, of a faithful friend, uh, uh, well, someone who you think is a faithful friend, betraying you, and uh, the films love it, and they make it on an epic level where the state of the world is at, uh, um, uh, at stake there. But actually, sadly, most of us will know also the betrayal of, of uh, friends. Usually it's just on minor things, but for some of you, it may even be on a... Uh, to an extent that it's been quite life-changing to you. Maybe a, maybe a spouse or something like that has let you down. As we continue in this series on faith under fire, what I want you to see is that Jesus is totally faithful. He is completely faithful to us and trustworthy. And he calls us to be faithful to him in heart and indeed. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 1 to 5. We're going to read today. They'll appear on the screen behind me as well. So let's, let's, uh, let's just start reading these. It says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word, that means the gospel of the Lord, may speed ahead. Run like an athlete, is talking about there. That's what the Greek means. Run as quickly as possible. And be honoured or truly esteemed as it should be, as happened among you. And that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all people have faith, but the Lord is faithful. There's a word play there on faith and faithful. It's there in the Greek and in the English it comes across. He will establish you because he's faithful. Because he's faithful. It's not dependent on you. It's God who it's dependent on. And guard you against the evil one. The word there for guard is keep, literally keep watch 
over you. Think of Psalm 121, how God watches over his people. He will guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence or are persuaded by the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. And that word there for direct is literally make straight, make straight paths in your heart towards the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. So there's three things I want to bring out to you this morning from this passage, and that's the power of prayer, the faithfulness of Jesus, and the heart of obedience. There's three things I want to look at. Firstly, the power of prayer. Paul believed in the power of prayer. Not only does he encourage us to be praying, he himself covets the prayers of God's people because he knows they're effective in unlocking divine power into your situation or into whatever situation you're praying into. The intrepid apostle who seems so fearless in Ephesians 6, 19 says, Pray also for me, that words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So clearly he was tempted not to share the gospel there. And he's praying, no, pray that God gives me strength to do what I should do. Paul also lets us know in Romans 10 that he's regularly praying for his people, the people of Israel, that they would come to know and love Jesus. Gordon Fee, writing on our passage, says, As always, Paul's primary concern is the spread of the gospel. This is the first thing he requests prayer for, that the gospel may advance, that the gospel may speed ahead of them and be honoured or well received by those who receive it. It's the first thing, actually, Jesus teaches us to pray after coming to our Heavenly Father and honouring him for who he is. It's your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The spread of the gospel, you see, is the heartbeat of heaven. It's the very reason why Jesus hasn't returned, is he's delaying it because he wants the gospel to go to every tribe, tongue, and nation. Is it your heartbeat this morning? Is your heartbeat the spread of the gospel? This passage would challenge us. Are we praying for the gospel advancement through us to our friends, yes, but to the nations? Of the world, as Rob pointed out this morning about the map, that's partly there to remind us as we go out. We, we're, we're called, yes, we're called to reach here in Helsham, but we're called to focus on the nation. So thank you for praying for us. Please keep us in your prayers this week as well. It's part of what God has called each one of us to be involved with. Paul was asking them to pray for people that they had never met or were unlikely to meet as well. But he was asking them to pray for it anyway. And God calls us to be a people of prayer. And top of the list, after thanking God for who he is and recognizing that we can approach him as our Heavenly Father, is praying for the gospel advancement through us to the ends of the earth. And yes, including people on our doorstep. My friends, let's be a church that give ourselves to praying for the gospel advancement all around us to the ends of the earth. 
But know that as you do that, you will face increasing opposition. It will come your way. As Paul encouraged them to pray that for him that he would be delivered from wicked and evil people. Or as the Lord's Prayer goes on to say, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Paul, Jesus is teaching us to pray about evil within there and evil without as well, to be protected from both. Because evil is not just out there, is it? It's going to arise within our own hearts all too often. Be praying protection over yourselves. Be praying protection over God's people. Be praying protection over leaders especially, because the Bible encourages us to do that. I'm not just saying that because I am one, but uh, I do covet your prayers. But, uh, but the Bible tells us we should be praying for our leaders. And also particularly those who are spearheading the gospel around the world. I can tell you after 25 years of experience of working with the unreached people groups, those that have never heard the gospel of Jesus, that is where the battle rages hottest in the spiritual realm. The devil knows, the Bible says, that his time is short. And he does not want the unreached tribes of the world to be reached with the gospel of Jesus. Because he knows that once that happens, his time will then be up. So he stirs up trouble in those places, the most, well, the most severe trouble. And the more you align yourself with trying to spread the gospel to the nations of the world, even to those around you, the more opposition you will face. Jesus warns us of this, but then he says, phrase this for his followers in John 17. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. In our passage, Paul asks, uh, reminds us that, we will be, that God is faithful and he'll guard us against the evil one. Jesus doesn't promise to take us out of trouble or difficulties. He says clearly, actually, in John 16 to his followers, he says, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world, John 16, 33. But we don't actually, as Christians, just have to accept it. Oh, that's our lot then, we're going to face lots of uh, trouble. No, Paul here is encouraging us, no, let's pray that we get delivered from it. We can use, and you see examples in it of scripture where people use the power that they have to stop trouble coming their way. And, to, and also we should use our, if you like, in this country we have a lot of democratic rights, we should use our rights to try and stop trouble coming to the nations of the world as well. But one thing is for sure, we must not let trouble coming our way stop us from trying to speed ahead the gospel of Jesus. So we're called to pray uh, into those things. There's power in prayer, my friends. Like oil in an engine lubricates it so it can run smoothly and carry on going. Prayer brings the oil of the Holy Spirit into a situation so he can smooth situations forward. More than this, like a muscle needs protein to grow Prayer, if you like, is our spiritual protein, helping us to grow our muscle of faith and of Christ-like character. More than this, prayer is a lifeline, hence the picture there, to headquarters telling God your situation on the ground. He knows anyway, but there's power in, in letting him know and, and talking it through with him. And while you do that, he will give you fresh 
direction and help and comfort and divine wisdom to give you the way forward as well. And even more than that, prayer as a believer is our very life breath in Christ. It's a privilege that we can approach God, the living God, as our heavenly Father. Hallelujah. We should be praying for the gospel advancement and divine protection. Funnily enough, in a way, that kind of sums up the whole series, doesn't it? Of faith under fire. Faith because we're trying to spread our faith out there and we're getting under fire because there are evil people that are rising to, to try and stop it and obviously evil forces as well behind that. Paul then segues, if you like, quite nicely from evil people who oppose the faith to the faithfulness of God. So let's just read the passage again to appreciate it. It's only a few verses. It will appear on the screen behind me. I'm going to read it in the NIV this time. It says, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may speed rapidly and be honoured, just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. So secondly, I want to look at the faithfulness of God with you. You see, whatever happens from our perspective, whether the gospel speeds ahead or whether it seems to be struggling, whether God delivers us from wicked and evil people or trials and difficult situations that arise or whether he has greater purpose for us in the trial, we know that God is faithful. Amen? Amen? 1 Corinthians 1 verse 8 tells us God is faithful. In this passage, Paul writes, the Lord is faithful. By the Lord there, he means Jesus. Because actually in all of Paul's letters, it's the vast, vast majority of times he refers to the Lord. He's clearly talking about Jesus. And if you look through Thessalonians, his use of the word Lord is always linked to, to Jesus there. So he's hinting at the divinity of Christ there, how Jesus perfectly reveals God the Father to us. Just as the Apostle John could write, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. And he goes on to say, no one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus could say to Philip, said, Philip, how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you understand? If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And of course, that wonderful passage in Hebrews 1, verse 3, says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. So because God is faithful, Jesus is totally faithful. God is full of steadfast love. So is Jesus. Jesus is completely reliable. He will never let you down. doesn't mean he'll always give you 
what you want. He's not a sort of a giant genie in the sky. He's like, oh Lord, show us. Uh, Lord, I love a, I love a Ferrari. I'd love a, you know, a bigger house. I'd love the, a different boss. They're really annoying. Oh yes, my son. Yeah, boom, boom, boom. There you go. Those, those three things. It's not like that. He's the living God. You fit into his plan, not he fitting into your plan. He will always do what's right. He will always do what is good. But we may have to uh, have faith to hold on to him in some of those things. Because some of the things that come our way, some of the things that we have to go through, some of life's ups and downs are quite difficult, in fact. But God knows what he's doing. Romans 8, verse 28 says, We know that for those who love God, listen to these words, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. You see, even in trials, even in tribulation, even in suffering and difficulties and tragedies that come your way, God is totally faithful. He has a purpose in it. Whether we can ever figure out that purpose, we're not even called to sometimes, actually. We're just called to trust him and to hold on to him and allow him to work in our lives. James 1, 2 to 12. Actually, someone mentioned this in the prayer meeting this morning. Becky mentioned it. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to, the, to those who love him. Paul could write, and remember Paul suffered much more than any of us are likely ever to. He writes this, For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. The psalmist in Psalm 119 writes this, Psalm 119, verses 75 to 76. Some of you may, may want to make a note of that. I, it's not up there, but it uh, um, says this. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to the promise to your servant. Knows God's righteous. He knows that there's a purpose in all his affliction. He can trust God. God is faithful in it. God's not lost the plot. And he doesn't ask that God takes him out of that situation. He just says, no, fill me with your steadfast love. Help me uh, to trust you in this situation. Because I know you've got good promises for your servant. You see, even in trials, God has a purpose. And he will reward us as we imitate Jesus and remain faithful. Jesus will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Someone needs to hear that afresh this morning. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Thanks to Paul's confidence in God, not in the Thessalonians, because his confidence in the Lord, he knew that God will be working in the lives of the Thessalonians through the Holy Spirit at work in them, encouraging and, and, uh, and uh, uh, enabling them to be obedient. 
Since Christ is totally faithful, he's the one that will establish one. He's the one that will guard them against the evil one. You know, Satan is actually completely limited in his power in terms of what he is allowed to do to you as a believer. Job, Job, 1, verses, uh, Job 1 and, uh, chapter 1 and 2 make that clear. Luke 22 verse 31 to 32 also make that clear. Clear. Do you know he can only even tempt you in areas that he's he's got he's been given permission to. He's got set parameters in how he's allowed to tempt you as well. It says this in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 14. Note how Paul reminds starts with God is faithful. Reminds you of the faithfulness of God. Trust him. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation. He will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Sometimes in some of the things we go through, actually it's about producing more faith in us, producing more Christ-like character in us as we trust him, as we lean into him. And because God is faithful, that's why Paul is absolutely confident in the church. Because it doesn't ultimately depend upon them. It depends upon Jesus. Morris writes in his commentary on this passage, Paul is resting his confidence in the Lord. And he is saying that this gives him confidence in them. And this should also give us confidence. It's not dependent on you or me. We have a part to play, yes. But it's dependent on God. And that's why we can take courage from verses like Philippians 1, verse 6, that say, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it, but bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. God's going to be faithful to you your whole life. He will keep hold of you. He'll keep working on you. He'll keep transforming you. And he'll bring that work to completion when either you die or Christ returns. The Holy Spirit is at work, you see, in all true believers, changing us and causing an obedience to rise from the heart. And before I look at that, let's just read the passage one more time. We'll read it in the Good News version this time. Just it's a great passage. Let it sink in the truth from this passage. Finally, our friends, pray for us that the Lord's message may continue to spread rapidly and be received with honour, just as it was among you. Pray also that God will rescue us from wicked and evil people. For not everyone believes the message, but the Lord is faithful. And he will strengthen you and keep you safe from the evil one. And the Lord gives us confidence in you. And we are sure that you are doing and will continue to do what we tell you. May the Lord lead you into, greater, into a greater understanding of God's love and the endurance that is given by Christ. Hallelujah. You see, whilst the Bible is crystal clear that you and I are saved by grace through faith in Jesus, it's not by our own works at all, we're saved by grace through faith alone. True faith, the Bible makes clear, is never alone. True faith manifests 
itself in obedience as well. So we're saved by faith, but true faith will manifest itself into obedience. The love of God, you see, penetrates someone's heart and transforms it and causes us to live a changed life. He transforms us from the inside out. Jesus said very clearly in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Whoever does not love me does not keep my word. It's linking true love for him results in, in, in fruits in people's lives. It results in change. It results in obedience to him. Not because that obedience saves us. It's not why we're trying to do it to please God. Because God is pleased with us. Because God has saved us. Because all that Jesus has done for us on the cross as we've just celebrated, we give ourselves to living for him. As Paul was confident that they would put into practice his instructions from this letter and from the rest of Scripture. Let's remember, Paul's not just the, you know, on, some, on some power trip here. Actually, he's giving them the very commands of God. Is all that we've got recorded, if you like, in this book, are the commands of God, are the instructions of the Lord uh, to us. And we're called, as true believers, out of love for God, to be obedient to what we see in Scripture. And then Paul then prays for them that their hearts would be directed towards the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. And whilst, you know, he could just, God could just, just command us and we should do it because we ought to, because God's God, actually there's a sense in which he tells us to be f- focusing on Christ's example and the love of God. Because God's love is what changes us. God's love is what shapes us. He wants us to do things, not because we ought to, but out of love for him. The Bible says in 1 John 4, verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. God's love comes into our lives, transforms us, and as a response to that, we love him for what he's already done for us. Elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, it says, The love of Christ controls or compels us to live for him. It's the love of Christ that compels us to do these things. And the love of God, my friends, is chiefly seen in the person of Jesus Christ. He is our motivation. He is our foundation uh, that we build our lives on, that we build the church on, that we try and extend his kingdom on. He is our example, if you like, in steadfast perseverance, in living for God. Take Hebrews 12, verses 2 and 3, where it says, Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And I just, just as I was reading that, there was despising 
the shame jumped out at me. And I just feel there's someone here who just sort of almost feels like, well, I, I, I need to almost be rejoicing in the, in the trials that, 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 that I've got. Yes, you can be praising God, but you don't need to rejoice in the trial that you're going through. Jesus despised the shame that he had to go through, but he was looking forward. He was holding on to the joy that is before him. So it's okay to feel like, oh God, I hate what I'm going through now. God, this is so difficult, but praise you, I know I can trust you. That's, that's, the, that's the heart attitude that, that you should have, my friends. John Calvin on this passage writes, provided one's heart remains moulded according to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ, all else, everything else in your life will be well. If we keep that as the the main focus, whatever comes our way, we're never going to be rocked. Actually, our life will stay on the straight path that God has for you. Your life, when you you get to, to glory, you'll be able to look back and think, oh, I know it was difficult there. I know I had these seasons where there were real trials that I went through. But actually, it was worth it because, because of the glory, as we've already read, that will be revealed to us. It's light and momentary trouble. It's not light when you're in it, but you know, God will help you through it. God is faithful. He will be with you. He will strengthen you. Jesus is totally faithful. And he calls us through the power of the Spirit and through our prayers to be faithful to God by being obedient from the heart to all he has called us to do. Amen? Amen. And one of the first things he calls people to do is to surrender their life to him. And if you're here this morning or if you're watching online and you don't know Jesus and you're thinking, I want him as my faithful friend. I want him because he's never going to leave me and forsake me. How do I make Jesus my friend? Well, the Bible is very clear. It's very simple. We just need to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead and then you'll be saved. It's just, you, we do that through basically a prayer of surrender to God, thanking him for dying on the cross for us and giving out the rest of our lives to him. So if you want to do that with me, I'm just going to ask everyone to bow their heads in prayer. Just pray this prayer along with me now. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love me enough to send Jesus to come and live amongst us. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me enough to die on the cross to save me. Please forgive me of all the things that I've done wrong. And through the power of your spirit that raised you from the dead. Help me live the rest of my life for you. I want to know you as my faithful friend. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.